Yikes. Today I learned that amongst the people who succeed in losing all of the weight that they set out to, only 3% actually keep that weight off for good. That's a 97% failure rate for a really common goal that I think we have all probably set at least once. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Elizabeth Sherman. Elizabeth has been a life, health, and weight loss coach for closing on two decades. She is also the host of the podcast Done With Dieting, where she explores all things health-related with various guests. She's here to give up the top-tier tricks for achieving our weight loss and exercise goals. Let's learn how to lose some weight and finally keep it off. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth Sherman. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Why don't you give a little introduction about yourself for anyone listening? Sure. I am Elizabeth Sherman. I am a life and weight loss coach. And what that means is, well, let me actually go back to the beginning. It's always kind of a story. Um, I started my whole journey with weight loss probably in about 2001. In 2001, my mom actually passed away from breast cancer. And I could tell, let's see, I was 33 at that age. And uh, I could see that even though like there was a huge difference between in age between me and my mother, that if I kept doing the things that I was doing, that I would be in her same position. So her passing away from breast cancer was a huge wake up call to me. And so in that moment, um, I started researching, how do I not get breast cancer? And I found out that uh, breast cancer, all cancers, and lots of other lifestyle diseases are um, exacerbated by excess weight. I was heavy. And so I started the process of trying to avoid getting cancer. And part of that was just cleaning up my diet, starting to exercise. And I would love to tell you that when I realized that there was that relationship between excess weight and lifestyle disease, that I quickly made the change like overnight, right? But I didn't. My struggle was actually for about 15 years after that. Um, At the time that my mom passed away, I was working for a software company in Silicon Valley, and um, I had just moved from Chicago to Austin, Texas to be with my now husband. And I was like, you know, how am I making the world a better place working for a software company? And so I went to a psychologist, probably more as a life coach than as like a therapist, And she suggested, because I was having this midlife crisis, even though I was in my young 30s, um, and she suggested that I become a wellness coach because I'd kind of like started the process myself. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? I really want to help people. Like if I can help one person not get cancer or a lifestyle disease, then I will have served my purpose. Now, this was back in 2005. 
And in 2005, no one knew about life coaches. No one knew about coaching in general. All we knew about in 2005 was personal trainers and nutritionists. And so I got my personal training and nutritionist certificate together. And that was, that was great, but it was frustrating at the same time because I knew I could help people so much more than just showing up to the gym and working them out for an hour or, you know, helping them in that capacity. And so after a while, I started getting my clients really good results, but then something would happen in their life. They would either, I don't know, um, life would get hectic, their job would get busy, they would have to take care of a parent, or their child would get in trouble or get sick. And it was like the rug just got pulled right from right under them. And all of the hard work that they had done to establish these habits, eating good and exercising, just like went away. And so that was really frustrating for me. And it wasn't until I discovered life coaching that I realized that what happens is it's stress. Stress is what makes us not adhere to our habits. It's the other stuff in our lives that really impacts how we take care of ourselves. And how we take care of ourselves is through eating and movement and sleep and all of those other self-care things. And so that's kind of when I started life coaching. And so that's kind of where I am today, that I help my clients through weight loss take better care of themselves through focusing on not just the food and the exercise, but also the other areas of their life, manage their problems so that they can take care of themselves. Yeah. And that's awesome because I mean, you're vastly improving people's life, you know, not just in the here and now, but in their future. Cause you're like, look right now you're getting fit. You're enjoying your life more. You're, you know, getting out and doing things. And also in 20 years, you'll still be healthier than you were if we did nothing. Well, and it's so interesting because I still remember the day that I realized that diets don't work. And what I mean by that is the actions that we do today give us our future results. And I remember realizing, oh, you mean I have to do this thing forever in order to maintain my results? Like I go off the diet and I start eating the way that I was eating before, I'm going to look the same. And that's when everything kind of shifted. So yeah, what I'm doing is I'm helping my clients not only make change today, but also helping them change the way that they think about their problems so that they never have to go on another diet ever again. And that's great because one of the questions I had is like, which, what diets out there, because I'm sure a lot of them, and this going to be a hot take, are just outright farces and which ones are just fads that are like, yeah, it'll work, but you can't maintain that. You know, that's actually a really good question because the answer is all diets work. Not all diets work for everybody. 
And so what that means is a diet that might work for me might not work for someone else. It's all about how that, and when I talk about diets, let me back up for just a second. I talk about diets from two different perspectives. I talk about diets with a big D and diets with a small D. Diets with a big D are prescribed diets, like the keto diet or like Atkins diet or um, I don't know, South Beach diet. You can tell when I used to do my diets, right? Um, with, or Weight Watchers, like those are prescribed diets. But then we also have diet as far as a small D, which is just the way that I eat. And the key to lifelong weight management is to figure out how those diets with a big D, how you can manage them so that they become the diet with a small D. And so there are people who just naturally eat vegetarian. There are other people that if you make them eat a vegetarian diet, they will not feel good. They will crave meat. They'll um, gain weight. They'll uh, feel really lethargic or you know, spacey, like because it's too high in carbohydrate for them. And then people who naturally tend to vegetarian diets, put them on a keto diet, they will go bonkers. And so it's just a matter of figuring out what's the right eating style for you. So do you ever recommend somebody stay on something like a keto diet or switch to a vegetarian diet entirely? Like switch to this and then just see if you can stay on it? Well, so first of all, I believe I don't ever put my clients on the keto diet. And I don't do that because I think that a lot of diets you can half-ass. Can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of diets you can half-ass. The keto diet is not a diet that you can half-ass. And so because of that, I do not put my clients on that diet. Um, and... Because I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor, I don't actually put my clients on any diet. What I do is I actually make suggestions, try doing this, try doing that, and see how you feel. A lot of what I do with my clients is I, I guide them through listening to their body to see what works for them. And so to go back to your question, the, as far as like the keto or vegetarian diet goes, yeah, like those are something that you could try for a period of time and see how you feel. And see, here's the thing. Whenever we do a diet and the diet doesn't work out, we think that we've failed. But what if you looked at those diets like experiments? Like what if you looked at those diets like, oh, we're just trying this way of eating to see if it works for me and my lifestyle. Then if it doesn't work out, it's not like I've failed because I think that a lot of people get into this mind trap of, I have to do it perfectly. And if I don't do it perfectly, then they feel like a failure for not being able to do it perfectly. And they feel like it's their fault. But again, going back to what I said earlier about different people do well on different diets just notice that, you know what, this diet, this way of eating isn't for me. And this is why I feel spacey or it doesn't work with like my, my timing during the day 
or whatever it is. Um, so just be aware of that not every diet is right for everybody. Yeah, of course. I have tried quite a few out there just because I, I am part of that group that's like, oh, the, everyone says this diet works. Let's see if this diet works. And most of them make me feel fairly miserable. And mm. I think that's just like something in restricting my myself so hard to things like keto because I did the mm -hmm. keto diet for mm -hmm. a little while and I lost weight on it. Like, mm -hmm. of course it does that. But it, I was also miserable because I'm like, everything I eat just feels like I'm swallowing grease mm. and I hate it. Yeah. And then if I try and do something that is, you know, all the way on the other side of the spectrum and I'm eating entirely vegetarian, I do have that feeling where I'm like, I need any source of meat or I, I hate every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like everyone's a little bit different. And so you just have to figure out the mix of um, protein, fats, and carbohydrates for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. When you're working with clients, do you see, I mean, either diets specific, big D, or just the act of dieting work better in men or women for any way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I focus on women between 45 and 60. Um, and really women in midlife, women who are going through perimenopause and menopause. And the reason why I focus on those, that population of folks is because they actually have the toughest time losing weight. Um, most of the research that we know on weight loss has actually been done on college-aged men. So college-aged men actually have the easiest time being able to lose weight. And I know if there are any college-aged men out there, you're probably like, no, she's lying. It's most difficult for us. We all think that it's most difficult for us, right? Um, and as a younger woman, I thought it was difficult until I got to midlife. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really know what I was talking about then. So uh, as far as population goes, the older we get, um, the more difficult it becomes. And there's no such thing as ruining your metabolism. I work with a lot of women who are chronic dieters and it's not impossible to lose weight if you've done diet after diet after restrictive diet in the past, but it will be a little bit more difficult because your body kind of understands your MO, your body. When you start restricting calories, your body's like, oh, we've done this before. I know what's happening and I'm just going to hold on to the fat. And so what I talk about a lot with my clients is being able to create trust between our body and ourselves. And so how we do that is by giving the body enough nutrients, by allowing the body to feel safe. And one of the ways that we do that is through eating just tons of vegetables. And so I believe that um, the more vegetables we give our body, the more our body's like, okay, I feel safe because I'm getting enough vitamins and minerals and fiber, and maybe this is going to be okay. Is it also something just like, you know, in taking in vegetables, I have to assume it's one of the lower carb or one of the lower calorie things you can do. Like you can kind of get more material also inside of you. And that makes you feel like, oh, I'm not starving myself. Yeah. Good question. So there are three different aspects to 
what we call satisfaction. Okay. So if you've ever had like a rice cake, you eat the rice cake and then you're like, okay, what's next? Or you'll have this beautiful salad that is just full of vegetables and it's got some shrimp on it and a squirt of lemon. And you're like, that was delicious. Now what's next? Right? Because those foods don't have enough sustenance. They don't have enough, they don't sustain us. And so what we really want to do is we want to feel satiated after we eat. And we do that through one of three different ways. So the first way is that when our stomach lining stretches a little bit, um, that sends the signals from our stomach to our brain that we've had enough food. And so vegetables are really bulky. They're going to stretch that stomach lining. Number two is weight. So your stomach needs to have a little bit of weight in it. And so like the rice cake isn't going to feel very heavy. And so therefore, uh, we want to make sure that we're eating foods that are heavy in water content. So again, vegetables do that. But if you've ever had like a big bowl of broccoli, you eat the broccoli and it's great, but you're like, okay, I still need something. And so the other thing that we generally need in our food is fat. And so don't be afraid of fat because one, it is going to make you feel more satiated, but two, it's also going to help you to, um, well, absorb fat soluble vitamins. So we have two different types of vitamins in our vegetables. We have water soluble and fat soluble. And so we really need fat in order to be able to take in those fat soluble vitamins. So don't be afraid of fat. So those three things, stretching of the stomach lining, uh, weight of the food in our stomach, and then also having enough fat, and that's going to be different for everybody, uh, are the three things that tell our brain and our body that we've had enough food. Okay. Is there a good resource, like something that has, I guess, a healthy fat content that you can eat with meals that like will just make you feel a little better from that aspect? So are you asking about healthy fats versus... Less I just, healthy fats? I, I just assume like there is a healthier fat and it's something that you're like, oh, if I'm looking to, you know, stretch the stomach, add weight to the stomach and then get a little fat in there. Like what is the preferred fat? Oh, good question. Um, okay. So I'm going to answer this one of two different ways. First of all, if you are making dinner or you're really super hungry but you know that dinner isn't going to happen for like, I don't know, a half an hour or an hour. One of the best things to eat is some nuts. Okay. So like almonds. Um, and the same thing actually is true for when you go out to dinner. So if you go out to dinner, have a pre-salad beforehand because the dressing in the salad will have some fat in it. And that will start to create the process of satiety uh, in your body. So having a little bit of fat before you eat, and that can be olive oil, it can be nuts, it can be whatever you want, uh, is totally fine. 
I personally love avocado, like a whole, I don't want to say whole avocados because I don't eat a whole one, but um, (laughs) I love avocado because it's got fat in it and avocados have a ton of fiber and fiber is really good for helping you to feel full as well. So it depends on what you're eating. Going back to uh, your original question, like if you're having a smoothie, sometimes putting a little bit of peanut butter in there could actually add some fat um, or you could also add some nuts in there as well. So, yeah. Okay. Lots of options though. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important. So then moving on, obviously like a diet is good, but can only get you so far by itself, right? Well, 90% or 80% of your results will be diet related. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because I was going to say like, okay, I'll split them 50-50 because I don't know enough about it and just call Mm. the other half exercise. Um, Mm. But 80%, that is a a shockingly high number. (laughs) Well, think about it. So, well, so first of all, about a word about exercise, exercise, I really want everyone to start to decouple the idea that exercise is the calorie out part of calories in versus calories out. When we talk about weight maintenance, think about eating 500 calories of food versus exercising 500 calories. Exercising 500 calories might be running for anywhere from a half an hour, depending on how big you are, to a full hour for a smaller woman. And so that's a lot of work. It is so super easy to eat like three or four brownies, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so diet is really going to help you, like managing your diet is going to help you to not have to work so hard. And I say that in air quotes, you can't see me. Colton can see me. Um, Trust me, there's gonna, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> she, so you don't have to work so hard in order to you know, experience that calorie burn. But for younger folks, using exercise as calories in versus calories out works better. As we age exercise actually becomes, well, exercise is a stressor. It's a stressor during the time that we're working out, but it's a stress reliever after for the 23 plus hours after we exercise. And so what I really try to help my clients do is see exercise as a form of stress management, not as calories in versus calories out. And the big reason for that is because One, when we think about exercise as part of the calories out equation, what happens is if we overeat, we then say to ourselves, okay, I need to now exercise this stuff off. And then we start to resent the exercise. And then we start to look at exercise as punishment. And we really want to decouple that relationship. And so eat what you want, but then use exercise as a form of self-care, as a form of stress management. And um, in addition to exercise, going back to your original question, sleep and stress management are also huge when it comes to losing weight. Yeah. I have to imagine if I was, even if I was eating healthy 
ish. We'll just say ish because I don't know how healthy I'm going to eat, but we'll say ish. Um, and I'm exercising, you know, as the a full like equivalent. If I'm not sleeping at all, like my body is just going to start breaking down. And then I'm definitely like, even if I'm losing weight, I'm probably losing the wrong kind of weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, okay. So the, I have these, I don't want to say I have, but I talk about eating, physical activity, stress management, and sleep. Those are kind of like your four pillars of health, right? And they're all really interconnected. So when I'm not eating well, then I don't want to exercise because I feel sluggish. I feel terrible, right? When I'm not eating well, I don't sleep well because like how we eat impacts our restfulness, especially like if you're eating right before bed, like going to sleep on a full stomach just feels terrible. And then not eating well will also impact your stress management as well, because we're just feeling like irritated and on edge. We don't feel good. And so the same thing is true with exercise. Like if we don't exercise, then we're not going to eat well. And when we don't exercise, we don't sleep well because we haven't exercised the body. So we're going to bed and we're wired, but we're tired and so then we don't sleep well. And when we don't sleep well, then what happens is the next day we wake up, we're irritated. We don't make good choices with our eating because when we don't sleep well, our cells in our body don't regenerate correctly. And when that happens, we don't make energy correctly. So if you don't sleep well, what you'll notice is that mid-afternoon, you now start to get cravings for whatever your carb of choice is, whether it's sweet or whether it's salty. And during that time, then um, you're just going to eat more. You're not making good choices and then your mood. So it's all connected together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it sounds like a vicious cycle. It can be, but you know, it also works the other way. So once you start eating well, then you start to have more energy for exercise. You start sleeping better and your mood improves. So it all kind of, yeah, goes together for sure. Okay. Are there any type of workout or exercise regimens that you like to lean into or recommend? Mm, good question. Um, well, so for all of my clients, I always recommend walking. So you do not need to quote unquote work out. Okay. And I know that might be controversial, but I, but I do recommend that you walk as much as you can. And why walking is because walking will help you manage your stress. Okay. Now that being said, and that aside, um, I prefer, I, you know, I think that this is one of those things that as you get into more movement, you discover what it is that you like. And so really you want to find whatever thing it is that you enjoy. Some people really enjoy Zumba. Some people really enjoy like boxing or cycling. Some people really enjoy going to the gym and lifting heavy weights. I did for a really long time. And so right now in my current season, um, I'm doing 20 minute workouts and that's it. I just used hand weights. There was a period of time when I was using, um, I was 
in roller derby. And so I was using roller derby as a form of exercise. It was tons of fun. So yeah. you just have to find out, like, what do you like to do? Maybe volleyball, play with your kids. I don't know. Okay. Um, I feel like, you know, like we said, walking is a good kind of gateway drug to other exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like so many people look at it and just go, I don't need to do this because I walk all day for my job or, you know, like, mm. while I'm at work, my Fitbit says I got 10,000 steps or whatever it is people are using these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that doesn't count, right? Well, it does. It does count. In fact, there was a really good um, study done on maids in a hotel. And what they told the maids, they had two different groups. One was they didn't tell them anything. And the other group, they actually told your job counts as exercise. And what was really fascinating was because these maids then saw all of their physical activity at work as exercise, they started to actually treat themselves better and eat better and they actually lost weight. So yeah, it actually does uh, contribute. Any movement does contribute. Um, That being said, I'm always going to suggest that you do more walking in nature if it's available to you. Um, clearly there are parts of the world that are cold or really super hot where you, or you have um, what are called physical activity deserts where you can't really go and walk outside. And so being aware of, you know, just doing as much walking as you can in nature, uh, it would be great. Uh, yeah. When I'm not sitting behind the mic, uh, I have a job that keeps me on my feet pretty much all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've started just recently, actually. So this is kind of a good timing thing. I started just walking outside on my breaks. Like I just do a lap, do whatever it takes, just get outside and breathe some fresh air. And yeah. it feels so much better to have that like 10 minutes that I do that a couple times a day than it does to do all of my job the rest of the day. Yeah. Well, and that's actually a really good point. So I said 30 minutes a day and I just want to suggest that we think our brains immediately go to, well, I don't have 30 minutes. It's totally okay if you break it up into three 10 minute segments or six five minute segments or do 15 minutes and then five, five, five. It doesn't matter as long as you kind of get 30 minutes of movement in per day. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, Yeah. You brought up one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which is just like alternatives to the traditional gym exercise that I think everyone thinks of. Because mm-hmm. most of the people, when I talk to them about exercise, they're like, oh, I got to get on a treadmill and run again. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. You could take like a dance class. It doesn't really like as long as you're doing something, it's all good progress, right? Yeah. Yeah. So fine. There. So when we think about exercise, you kind of have to find out what your thing is. So there's group or there's individual. Um, I've always, I mean, I've done group classes before, but, um, I really kind of enjoy having flexibility in my schedule. And if I have to adhere to a specific time, I don't, I feel boxed in with that. I know that other people need that to have that accountability in order to do it. Um, but I said classes, it doesn't have to be just classes. It could be, um, I have a client who just started a kickball league. Like how fun is that? Um, 
you could, you know, get together with friends and play volleyball. Uh, so figuring out like, do I like doing things on my own or do I like doing things with a group? Do I want to be inside or do I want to be outside? Do I want to be competitive or not? So thinking about your personality will really determine what um, exercise you choose. And there are quizzes that you can take online, um, like just type in something like, I don't know, I forget what it is, like exercise, like figure out exercise quiz. I don't know. Yeah. Just a preference. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's interesting. Do you think, and this is going to be a slightly off topic, but do you think people have become a little just impatient with diet and exercise because we hear so many radical stories online? Mm. Like, I went to look up just because I do a little research, despite you know how I how I do everything on the show, which is just ask dumb questions. But um, I did a little research and I was looking at like, well, what is what are the crazy stories that are out there that people are seeing because I never see them, and I was looking at one where a guy lost over a pound a day for four months straight, and I'm like, that has got to be one of the most bizarre and unusual things that people are probably looking at and being like, well, he did a pound a day. Why can't I do a pound a day? Yeah. Yeah. I see that a lot that clients will come to me with unrealistic expectations of, you know, yeah, what they should be uh, losing. And, you know, when I hear that headline of losing a pound a day for four months, my initial question is, okay, how much did he weigh before and what was he actually eating or doing? Because what happens is like someone, a woman who is, let's say 150 pounds, maybe she's five foot and she wants to lose a little bit of weight. Um, she is going to have a harder time losing weight because she's small than a man who is 250 pounds, right? we want to look at it in terms of percentage. And so, um, and I also want to add here that when we're talking about losing weight, the faster the weight comes off, the faster the weight is actually going to come back on. And when we look at weight loss, there's a weight loss registry and the weight loss registry tracks people who have lost weight and been successful. And over the period of five years, 97% of people who lose weight regain it. So, and when I say that lose weight, I mean, lose weight and got to their goal weight, regain most, if not all of the weight back. So only 3% of people lose weight and keep it off. And so in this analogy, uh, slow and steady wins the race. The slower, the more methodical that you can do the work, the more sustainable it is. And it takes a really long time for our brains to change. We think that the problem is the food, right? We think that, oh, all I need is a new diet. But that's actually not the problem. The problem is 
why am I eating the foods that I'm eating? What am I thinking or what am I feeling in order to, or why am I wanting to overeat, for example? So overeating doesn't actually feel good, right? We think it does, but it actually doesn't. Like after we've overeaten, we're like, oh, I feel so bad. And so we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing that? And if we've been overeating for a long period of time, we're going to keep wanting to overeat. Like it takes a long time for our brains to change. One of the habits. So I have this thing called the eight basic habits that healthy people do. It's a guide and checklist. It's fantastic. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. But um, one of the habits is eat just enough, not too much. When I was learning to do that myself, it took me 18 months to really master that skill. And so like to be able to lose four pounds or what did you say? 120 pounds in four months, Um, something like that. Yeah. It was a pound a day for four months. So yeah, it should be like 120 some odd pounds. Like imagine losing 120 pounds in four months. I went, when I lost weight, I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore. And so to be able to lose that amount of weight, you don't recognize yourself and there's a huge identity shift. So again, I'm going to, we think that we want the overnight success, but I'm going to argue that we actually don't. Well, yeah, like you said, it's, you know, you have to build this habit. If you do manage to lose, you know, your 30 pounds worth of goal in one month, like you, how much of a habit have you built and how concrete is it? Like you're going to let it go because you're like, well, I hit my goal. I don't need to keep this up anymore. It's like, no, you do have to keep that up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you brought up a really interesting word, which is habit. We haven't really talked about that a lot, but there's this fallacy that it takes 21 days to build or break a habit. And that's, I don't want to say it's a lie. It depends on what you're talking about. Um, so I have so many clients who've been like, okay, I've done this for 20 days, 21 days. Now I should like be able to set it and forget it. And that's absolutely not true. You have to, it takes longer to be able to establish that habit, depending on how long you've had it before. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard all kinds of numbers on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I could not tell you anywhere with any certainty that one is more accurate than the other. Cause I have heard as little as three days, which I think is absurdly short because I can do anything for three days and not do it ever again, <laughs> um, up to like, you know, a year where they're like, oh, if you do this for a year straight every single day, like you'll finally remember it. And I'm like, I don't know if you need that long either for something to like just set in. But it again, it depends on the complexity, right? Like if my goal is to wake up and drink water, all I have to do is put water next to my bed and then remember to drink it. Like that's probably not going to be as hard as, okay, every day after work, I have to exercise. Like that's going to be a way harder habit. (laughs) Well, okay. So there are two things that I want to talk about in response to that. The first is uh, there's a book by a woman named Gretchen Rubin and it's called uh, better than before. And in the book, she talks about something called clean slate habits. And what clean slate habits are is when 
when we talk about New Year's, people often get on the bandwagon of, okay, this year I'm going to make everything different. The problem is, is that not a lot has actually changed between December and January. There are certain events that happen in our lives that actually make creating or breaking habits easier. Those events are things like getting married, moving, changing jobs, um, getting divorced, having a baby, so on and so forth. So they're like disruptors in your life. And if you can think about a disruptor that's coming up in your life, you can then plan for that. So like, let's say that you're moving to a new house and you don't want to bring junk food into the house anymore. You can kind of establish that. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because there are lots of people who have said, okay, so I, after my kids go to school, then I go for a run. Well, then what happens when you don't have that stimulus anymore that your kid doesn't go to school? So maybe you're kids is staying home or maybe your kid goes away to college. And again, you don't have that anymore. So then you don't have that stimulus. And what a habit is, is it's part three parts. There's the cue, there's the routine, and then there's the reward. So if the cue goes away, then the routine and the reward also go away. Okay. So that's the first thing is we really want to think about habits aren't set it and forget it forever. Like you have to maintain them. So the second piece that I wanted to share is there's a model that I use with my clients and it's called the neuro-linguistic programming logical levels of change. Okay. I know that that's a big phrase there, um, but it doesn't like, let me explain it. So I want you to imagine that there's a pyramid and the pyramid has five different layers to it, okay? Now, at the top of the pyramid, we have things that are easy for us to do to create better habits or to create better change, like losing weight, um, but they're not um, long-lasting. Down at the bottom of the pyramid, we have things that are long-lasting, but they're really difficult to change. So. Let me go through each level. I'm going to stop in the middle and then I'll continue on. So the first level is what's called environment. So you talked about Colton, um, putting water next to your bed. That's an environmental change. If I want to drink more water, I set the water out in my environment so that I can see it. Some of the other things that we talk about in terms of envir environmental change are, um, doing a kitchen re or not remodel, but makeover where you get rid of all of your quote unquote bad food, your junk food, and then you restock it with good food. Uh, if you want to stop smoking, we talk about throwing away your cigarettes and your lighters and your ashtrays and, you know, making your house smoke free. So those are just some examples of an environmental change that you can make. Um, the next layer down is habits and behaviors. When we talk about habits and behaviors, what we're talking about are things like I wake up in the morning and I drink my water. Or um, when I talk to my clients about it, I talk about pegging one behavior to something else that you've already established. So one of the common things is pack your bag 
the night before you go to work. And then on your way home, you drive to the gym so that you don't have to go home first. Um, another might be if you want to start taking your vitamins, you put your vitamins next to your toothbrush so that you have that visual cue that when I brush my teeth, I take my vitamins. So we have these tools that we use for habits and behaviors. The third layer down is what we call skills or abilities. And so you can see here how, as I'm going down the layers, that things are getting a little bit more complicated. When we talk about skills and abilities, when it comes to weight loss or diet, uh, what we're talking about is maybe cooking skills. Like, do I know how to make a healthy meal? Do I know how to look at a menu at a restaurant and choose what things are going to be good for me? What are the words that we see on the menu that signal that something is deep fried or sauteed in oil? Um, do I know how to exercise myself by myself or am I dependent on a personal trainer or a group exercise class? We saw that when the pandemic started, right? That all of a sudden gyms closed and people were like, oh my God, I don't know how to exercise. And so anyway, these are all skills that we can build. Now, the problem is, is that with all of these things, they're very temporary. So one of the habits that people talk about a lot is I do all of my meal prep on the weekends and my meal uh, planning on the weekends so that my week is easier. Okay. It's a great idea, but what happens if, I mean, right now, while we're recording this, we're coming up on 4th of July weekend. A lot of people are going to be out at the lake and doing fun activities with their friends and they're going to come home on Monday night and not having done a lot of their meal prep stuff, right? And so then on Tuesday, they're not going to have their healthy meals. They're not going to have gone to the grocery store. So already they're behind the eight ball. They don't have their environment set up. An environment needs to be maintained. Um, their habits well, they don't have the stuff that they need in order for their habits to be successful. Now we can go out to lunch or go out to dinner because I know how to read a nutritional label. I know how to pick food out that is good for me on a menu, but that takes free will as well. So I have to be able to choose to eat the better thing. Many of us are like, well, screw it. I'm at a restaurant. This is fun. Okay. So for much of my personal training career and nutrition career, I focused on those top three areas. That's what most personal trainers and nutritionists do. We talk about environment. We talk about uh, habits. We talk about skills and abilities. What we don't talk about is the very last layer. So I'm going to go to the last layer, the bottom layer, um, and then go up to the fourth one. So the bottom layer is identity. So if I don't see myself as truly a healthy person, I'm not, I'm going to have to work really hard on those top three layers to do those things. I'm going to feel like a fraud. I'm going to have imposter syndrome. I had a client who in her family, she was known as the fat sister. When we carry an identity like that, of course, it's going to be difficult to maintain any weight loss because 
we're the fat sister, right? We do these things like that maintain that. And so when we can look at how do we view ourselves and change that from an identity shift layer, then the fourth layer is actually beliefs and values. So when we can shift who we are at a very identity-based level, then everything else bubbles up and we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It definitely sounds like those first three, like, yeah, they get a little harder as you go and a little more nebulous, but like four and five sound like major overhauls where you're like, these are drastic changes to who I am and how I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you can do it on your own, but it really takes it. There, there are shifts that do not happen very easily. Yeah. But all those things probably also help you, you know, if your goal is weight loss, if you're losing weight and you have, you know, you start pegging down all those things, it also helps you to keep that weight off. Because you're like, well, I don't see myself as the fat sister anymore. I just see myself as, you know, looking and feeling healthy. And now that's my, you know, that's part of my identity. So I'm going to try and keep that. Exactly. Yeah. What was really interesting for me was that I was a personal trainer and I even did a bodybuilding competition. And it wasn't until I ran my first and only half marathon I crossed that line and immediately something in me shifted. So these identity shifts don't have to take a really long time. They can happen in an instant, like being a parent, like that's an identity shift that happens like instantaneously. Um, and so when I crossed that finish line immediately, I just felt like I was an athlete. And what was so fascinating about that was that from that point forward, I was really super consistent with my exercise habit. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it'd be awesome if you could plan for some of these things, obviously, like if you're about to become a parent, you have a little bit more planning capability. And also it's Mm -hmm. one of those things, like you said, where it's like, this is a disruptor. Yeah. Um, But like you didn't plan, I don't think to be like, I'm an athlete. As soon as you finish the race, it just happened. And you're like, Oh, look at that. Good things happened. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't even realize it for like years later. I was like, Oh, that was when I started getting really consistent. That's cool. Interesting. Awesome. Well, this has all been really educational and I have appreciated your time immensely, but I also want to give some time for you to just tell people, you know, where they can find you and what you're doing and, you know, anything else that you'd like to plug. Yeah. So I do have a, my own podcast. My podcast is called done with dieting. And again, it's aimed at women who are, uh, in midlife, although that doesn't mean that you have to be a woman in midlife to enjoy it. Um, men can enjoy it as well. I do talk a lot about not just, um, hard skills, like being able to cook and how to exercise, but I also talk a lot about the soft skills. So for example, setting boundaries and really prioritizing yourself. Um, because that's something that I don't think that we really think about when we are embarking on this lifestyle change. We don't think about how I'm going to have to prioritize myself over the things that I've already done. So anyway, 
that's the done with dieting podcast. I um, also have a webinar coming up. I don't know if this is going to be airing around that time. It's going to be July 18th. Um, so around that time, if the pod or if the webinar is passed, then you can um, probably sign up for it and you can catch the replay. Uh, it's all about why we gain weight after perimenopause. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, I love Instagram right now. I am just posting a bunch of reels and I'm having tons of fun there. And you can find me on Facebook at Total Health by Eliz. Um, other than that, I work with my clients one-on-one -on -one, and I also have a women's only uh, small group experience as well. Awesome. Well, I hope people go and find you. They find your podcast on all the major platforms, iTunes, I Apple. think I am everywhere. Awesome. <laughs> I'm on Audible. I'm on Apple. I'm on Spotify. I'm everywhere. Good. Well, hopefully uh, anyone who's listened to this and enjoyed it and got something out of it, even if you don't go and listen to all the episodes, like go leave a good review. It helps all of us podcasters. It's a huge thing. So go and do that. Otherwise, I hope people follow up. And I, again, I have appreciated this immensely. It's been really awesome. Thank you for yeah, being on the show. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, you could rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you've already done that and still want to help the show grow, why don't you tell some friends or family about the show? It helps get uh, word of mouth going, and that really helps this show grow its audience in general. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to me on any of the show's pages through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Right now, I am a featured show on the Podbean podcast streaming service, which is awesome. Check out their service if you've ever thought about doing a show of your own or you just want to change the app you use to stream podcasts. It's free to stream, you can download without ads, and it's very reasonable if you do choose to host on it. Here's a quick ad from them. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Just a quick reminder that August 4th through the 8th, I'm going to be in San Jose, California. So if you are in California and you want to hang out, uh, hit me up. Let's hang out while I'm there. I think it's fun. I've done that in lots of other states now with lots of other listeners, and it's always been a good time. Lastly, the update to the top countries list for July. Number one, still the United States, losing ground to all of the other countries, and now with the new top states, California and Alabama. Number two, Australia, moving all the way up to two, still led by New South Wales. Number three, Canada, with new top province, Ontario, just barely beating out B.C., 
Number four, the United Kingdom getting bumped down just over the last week or so. Number five, South Africa, which I know very little to nothing about. So, listeners, if you're familiar with South Africa and you have facts, write in, tell me what what they are. Just tell me about this place that I have listeners in and am unfamiliar with. Dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. That does it for this episode. Hopefully moving over to the two-a-week release model for a little while, so that'll be fun. And I'll see you soon for the next episode. Buh bye bye